Take your business further with the smart and flexible American Express Business Gold Card. It's packed with benefits to help unlock more value from your business purchases. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash businessgoldcard. Electricity, a big idea that's inspired countless new ones. From powering the light bulb to virtually powering our entire lives. 30 years ago, State Street launched the Spider S&P 500 ETF, SPY. A big idea that inspired the world to invest differently. And still does. What can you do with SPY? Before investing, consider the funds, investment objectives, risks, charges, and expenses. Visit SSGA.com for a prospectus containing this and other information. Read it carefully before investing. SPY is subject to risks similar to those of stocks. All ETFs are subject to risk, including possible loss of principal. Alps Distributors, Inc. Distributor. My mission is simple. To make you money. I'm here to level the playing field for all investors. There's always a bull market somewhere. And I promise to help you find it. Mad Money starts now. Hey, I'm Kramer. Welcome to Mad Money. Welcome to Kramerica. Other people want to make friends? I'm just trying to save you some money. My job, not just to entertain, but to put it in perspective. So call me at 1-800-743-CNBC or tweet me at Jim Kramer. How does the market roll over so easily with the Dow plunging 550 points, S&P plummeting 1.57%, and the Nasdaq nosediving 1.54%. That was easy. Closing out the worst quarter for the averages since March of 2020. March of 2020, ooh, that was a great time to buy. Sometimes Wall Street gets so negative it takes your breath away. Out of nowhere... We've gone from believing the American economy is strong, maybe too strong, to now thinking it's in a tailspin. It's so bad that now people are gloomy about everything, every industry. Each day they pulverize a new sector. Today was the bank's term with an expectation of a surge of bad loans. They have hardly any bad loans. Uh, yesterday it was cell phones. They're red hot. PCs. The day before, retailers. Apparel. Monday it was home building. Who will be on the rolling red hot bear griddle tomorrow? All right. I think the pessimism is getting out of touch with reality. But before I explain why, you need to know how we got here. Remember, a year ago, we had no idea how our country would beat COVID. It was an odd time. Many thought we'd soon be back to normal. But every time a new strain popped up, we collectively panicked. We already knew inflation was a problem a year ago. But the Fed figured it would wait once. It would it had to go away, right? It had to go away once we got past the pandemic and do supply disruptions. Then the Delta variant came along. The health regulators told us to stay home. And the return to normalcy, it got delayed. Once we finally got over Delta, Fed Chief Jay Powell announced that it was really ready. He was ready to stamp out inflation. It was November. But a couple of weeks later, Omicron hit. And the Fed braced for the possibility of another lockdown, which seemed reasonable, given we thought that Omicron might be as deadly as all the other strains, maybe worse, certainly more contagious. That's why Powell postponed raising interest rates until earlier this month. In retrospect, of course, that was a mistake. Turns out we didn't need to worry about more lockdowns once the bulk of the population had been vaccinated. Policymakers are always fighting the last war. For COVID, the last war was March of 2020, but who knew? Meanwhile, the pandemic has transformed the economy in ways we never thought could happen. First, unbelievably, many people who never dreamed of owning a second home decided to buy one because so many jobs went hybrid. Then they had to furnish it, burnish it, and get a car to drive to it. The whole movement was as unpredictable a reckoning, and it was brought up by an empowered labor force that would rather resign than be forced to go back to work in person. Nobody's ready for that. Nobody. Who could be? It was contrary to any trend we've seen since downtowns were created. 
It was as though the economy went from zero to 90 in two seconds. Home prices soared. Home builders couldn't put them up fast enough. Car prices galloped higher. Unlike any other time in history, the sticker price wasn't high enough. Normally, it's the other way around, right? Used car prices traded over new car prices because there weren't any new cars. Now, in fairness to the home builders and automakers, many of the executives who run those companies thought we were headed into a prolonged recession back in 2020 when the pandemic first hit. Hey, the stock market certainly signaled that. They decided to throttle back all their 2021 ordering. Ooh, that's where it went wrong. Because we're talking about throttling back orders for tools, washing machines, carburetors, gasoline, semiconductors. So here's what happened. Everyone, everyone got it completely wrong. Every single judgment made has been upended, much of it, again, because we embraced a new form of work, hybrid. The rise of remote work may be the most important economic transformation in my lifetime. And again, I don't want to blame Jay Powell for missing this, because everyone missed it. The auto companies cut back production when they should have increased production. The home builders need to put up as many homes as possible, but they put up fewer. We should have been building semiconductor plants left and right. We built none. Meanwhile, the oil companies got fed up with the boom and bust nature of their business, so they decided to be prudent for once and cut back on their drilling, something President Biden chastised them for today. I doubt they care. These companies are finally making way more money than they used to. little political heat from the White House won't matter. The makers of every part that goes into every car or a house are cutting back right when they should have gone into overdrive. Finally, we even seem to run out of food. In the end, we needed far more workers and far more basic materials than we were able to produce or were willing to produce. At the same time, between COVID and a major change in the tax code, we've seen a massive migration from cold, high-tax states to, to the warm, low-tax states of the Sun Belt. And so that's created a severe labor shortage in the manufacturing hubs where we most need workers. workers. I mean, it, it, it's totally upside down. Everything was already getting really out of whack. And then, out of nowhere... Russia invades Ukraine in a war that has many on edge. Between the deaths and the photos and the threat of nuclear annihilation, Wall Street psyche was shattered. We know from the RH conference call that the, even the high-end buyers are shaking. We're now stuck with a truly unhealthy development where everything has gotten too expensive for regular people at the same time that the Fed needs to slam the brakes on the economy to stop the inflation process. Create some unemployment but just when the Fed is swinging into action, I think the invisible hand of the free market seems to be taking care of a lot of this. Let's take them down. Mortgage rates have gone sky high versus where they were just a couple of months ago. Homes have gotten so expensive that the home building stocks have peaked, anticipating that home prices will soon follow. The auto stocks have tumbled, too, signaling that they finally can make enough cars and trucks that prices have peaked and will go lower. The hybrid office in your second home that fuels remote work, it's fully built out. Whether it be from furniture, from Williams-Sonoma or RH, or whether it be from PCs, no more need for tools or whirlpools or even Home Depots. Now, Last bastion, we find out these home offices, they've got everything they need. Suddenly, the conventional wisdom says there's too much of everything. So prices are going to come down. Stock prices are anticipating that. And that's why the only sectors that sustained rally in the first quarter were the oils, because they've cut back, and the utilities, which really act well only when there's going to be a heavy recession. Now, let's back up for a second. Remember how wrong we were last year when everything in the stock market got bit up too much right before the Fed declared war on inflation in word, if not in deed? Back then, we overshot to the upside. And I could argue that the stock market is now overshooting to the downside in the same fashion. While we still have an inflation problem, today's action is predicting a crash in sales for pretty much everything and a lot of bad debt. I say for now, just let it keep coming down. 
down, except that there'll be plenty of stories about, say, how AMD will have too many chips or GM too many cars, Lenar too many homes, Home Depot too much inventory. The president now saying we need more oil. Maybe he gets his way and we'll have too much of it. Well, that'll be a tough one. The Fed will definitely raise interest rates, maybe many times. The declines will accelerate and inflation will definitely be tamed. Most importantly, the market will have anticipated all this and will bottom well ahead of everything that I just described. So when does it fully get baked in? Okay, I'm not sure. But the bottom line is that we price in this negativity far more quickly than you think. Maybe it takes a month. Maybe only a few weeks, but it will happen. And once it does, we will be poised for one incredible, tremendous rally. Kumash in New Jersey. Kumash. Hey, Jim. Great show. Thank you. Jim, my question is about Dexcom. In the past, you have been bullish on this stock. However, with the Fed increasing interest rates and reducing its balance sheet to curb inflation and the changes in the geopolitical environment, what do you think is the future of Dexcom, which is at present trading at such a high multiple? Right, it is. But they, remember, there are remarkable scientists there. They do tremendous things. Here's the problem. Stock was at 400 a couple of weeks ago. Now it's at 500. But I think their technology is a winner, and they're going to keep shrinking the size of that device, and that's going to make people like it even more. Let's go to Kyle in New York. Kyle. Hey, Jim, how you doing? Thank you so much for taking my call. Oh, my pleasure. What's going on? Uh, well, Jim, I'm, I wanted to ask you about Datadog. I'm a newer investor, but I, I got into it and had a nice peak over the last, like, two years or so with some of the other cloud companies, but it's dropped off a little bit. I'm wondering, is it... Have they hit their peak, or what you think about Well, first, about it, it is a great company. I mean, a terrific, terrific company. However, it is losing money. And we are not operating, but it is losing money. Now, we do not want to recommend any stocks on this show right now when the companies are losing money. It's just too painful and hard. All right. Sometimes pessimism can get out of sync with reality. But for now, I say let that pessimism build. I think the market will price it in more quickly than you think. And then we could be paused for a great rally. Those people who belong to the investing club know we've been selling and selling and selling the last tranche, not just because of our distribution. Man Money Tonight, Palo Alto Networks, one of the few areas, by the way, that is still strong in cybersecurity. This, they're on the front line of defending the enterprise from cyber attacks. And I'm learning more about the state of the space with the company's CEO because of what's happening with Russia and Ukraine. Then the dollar store operators typically are what you should buy here. They look inexpensive. But are you getting the stocks of major players Dollar General and Dollar Tree at a discount or is it still at a premium? I'm going to give you my take. And you've called in and stumped me on some stocks. I'm turning in my homework on a couple that I've been watching, and i got to tell you, one of them is downright exciting. So stay with Kramer. Don't miss a second of Mad Money. Follow at Jim Kramer on Twitter. Have a question? Tweet Kramer. Hashtag Mad Tweets. Send Jim an email to madmoney at cnbc.com. Or give us a call at 1-800-743-CNBC. Miss something? Head to madmoney.cnbc.com. Fact. Running a business is not getting easier on your wallet. With higher expenses on materials, employees, distribution, and borrowing, everything costs more. Also a fact. 
Smart businesses are reducing costs and headaches by graduating to NetSuite by Oracle. NetSuite is the number one cloud financial system, bringing accounting, financial management, inventory, and HR into one platform and one source of truth. With NetSuite, you reduce IT costs because NetSuite lives in the cloud with no hardware required, accessed from anywhere. You can cut the cost of maintaining multiple systems because you've got one unified business management suite. You improve efficiency by bringing all your major business processes into one platform, slashing manual tasks and errors. Over 37,000 companies have already made the move. See how you'll profit with NetSuite, and then you can think of all the ways you could be spending the money you save. Company retreat in Malibu, anyone? By popular demand, NetSuite is offering a one-of-a-kind flexible financing program for a few more weeks. Head to NetSuite.com to start saving. When you're hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging to connect with candidates faster. Plus, 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. Join more than three and a half million businesses worldwide that use Indeed. Listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash madmoney. Just go to Indeed.com slash madmoney right now and support this show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash madmoney. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Look, it's been tough out there, but not every growth stock has been eviscerated over the last four months. At least one subgroup has held up incredibly well, and that's cybersecurity. In a world where new digital threats emerge constantly, from ransomware and supply chain attacks to nation-state hackers, including the one that's invading Ukraine, both businesses and governments around the world know they need to spend more money to protect themselves. But not all cybersecurity stocks are created equal. The newer ones with little in the way of earnings have been crushed like everything else with the same profile. But some of the more mature operators with great management are doing terrifically. Take Palo Alto Networks, which just hit a new all-time high today before pulling back a bit. Not only does Palo Alto have everything an organization needs to protect its networks, its cloud, on-premise, you name it, they also turn a profit in the process and a handy, big, nice profit. There's a reason the stock has surged 31% since we last spoke to the CEO right after the company last reported five weeks ago. Since then, we've seen the rise of a new hacking group that's been hitting some of America's most sophisticated tech companies, not to mention further escalation from Russia. So let's check in with Nikesh Aurora, the chairman and CEO of Palo Alto Networks. Get a better sense of the cybersecurity landscape. Mr. Aurora, welcome back to Mad Money. Thank you, Jim. Okay, Nikesh, I've been reading uh, this Unit 42 threat intelligence, uh, and it's just incredible. It's both eye-opening but also, frankly, scary. Uh, can anyone protect themselves or is everyone vulnerable? Look, Jim, unfortunately, every one of us is vulnerable, uh, given what we're going through and where we are. But a lot of us can do stuff, and we have been doing stuff, I think, over the last many years, trying to prepare for such times. At this point in time, we all need to be very vigilant. We need to make sure that you know, we control our networks down. We need to make sure that we're constantly monitoring any attempts at infiltration of our networks. And we also have to have a contingency plan in place. We have to make sure that if you get impacted, we can restrict the impact to a small segment of our business and make sure we have backup plans to come back up again. That's what you do in moments of crisis. 
Uh, true, but then I look at who the list, okay? Facebook, they're brilliant people. AWS, we love them. Uh, Fastly, that's an outfit just dedicated to, to secure sites. Akamai, they were always considered to be the gold standard. we got a Verizon issue. And then, finally, Okta. I mean, Okta, the uh, cash, come on, Okta is the people. That's who we rely on to have us, our entity protected. You know, Jim, what's interesting is uh, the cyber attackers have gone from being hobbyists to professionals. I mean, you're a professional, you look and you go for maximum impact. And how do you get maximum impact? You get maximum impact by embedding yourself into something we all use. That's how you've seen over the last two years, the hacks have been towards supply chain software, Okta, something we all use for identity, Microsoft Exchange Server, SolarWinds, something we all use for IT configuration, Log4j, something we all use in our development process. So you are seeing more and more supply chain attacks. And what that does is allows them to get embedded in specific targets. So when they tomorrow want to come looking for a company, a piece of critical infrastructure, they can then go look through all these hacks and see which ones of them still have that vulnerability persisting or which ones infrastructure they've been able to go and sleep in. So I think from that perspective, they're doing it the right way, unfortunately. And our job is to make sure we're vigilant. We're making sure that none of this stuff you know, get through into our system. And if it does, we have remediation plans and we have remediation plans that apply to all of our customers quickly. Because the problem is anybody who doesn't patch, anybody who doesn't upgrade has left themselves open to this vulnerability. But uh, for some, remediation might be too late. I mean, Nikesh, I have to think that at a certain point, the bad guys who have stepped everything up since Ukraine aren't going to go for money and aren't going to go for chaos. They're going to go for blood. How can they hurt us? And how do I mean, I'm not kidding. I mean, I was we had a, someone on talking about heart valves yesterday. And what do we talk about? Can they hack that? Can they hack a machine that works to be able to monitor your insulin? Can they hack the insides of a nuclear power plant? The short answer is yes. And Jim, you know, you and I talked about this maybe five weeks ago. And I said, this is the time I'm most concerned about the cyber activity because this time it is not for economic gain. It could be for vindictive reasons. And it's very hard to get somebody to stop if they are intent on causing chaos or causing damage. And that's why we have to be extra vigilant. And by the way, this has been backed up by the White House, been backed up by CISA. They've all said we need to be on full alert, especially critical infrastructure, especially financial services, areas where any degree of shutdown can cause chaos. And I think, you know, I know there's been a lot of conversation around. We haven't seen anything yet, and I think it's early. I think the the potential aggressors are still busy dealing with other issues. And at some point in time, because we have done economic sanctions, we have caused some degree of economic warfare, my fear is that we will see some vindictive behavior in our direction. We need to be ready for it. All right. Now, I understand that how good they are. Will I ever wake up and find that Kamaradan uh, from Russia has been hacked by us? And they are on their knees asking for help? Look, that's not a decision that, uh, that we as a private enterprise should be taking. You know, we're not in favor of any kind of cyber attacking. But I would leave that for the elected officials to decide what's the right strategy, given which circumstance we're in. Of course, we have offensive capability as a nation. And that capability exists in other nations around the world as well. But I hope it doesn't come to that. You know, I think our job, is, our job is to make sure we protect our infrastructure because our responsibility is towards our citizens and our enterprises in this country and other countries around the world which are on the right side. And that's what we're going to focus on. Okay. So, Nikesh, how does this happen? Uh, one of my colleagues uh, got a message 
your bill is paid from Verizon. Your bill is paid for March. Thanks. Here's a little gift for you. How one, how did they get his phone number? And two, how can you resist that? Well, you know, these, these phishing attacks, these attempts to come somehow compromise your credentials are the hardest things to protect against because, you know, there's one attempt to go do the supply chain attacks where they get embedded across infrastructure. The other is you go after specific individuals who work at companies or specific individuals that you're interested in and try and get them to surrender their, surrender their credentials, which is how we, we read the Okta hack happened or some of the others have happened. This Lapsus group does work like that where they go find compromised credentials on the dark web, use them to log in legitimately on your behalf, and then they're able to enter your systems and do things that you don't want them to do. So for that kind of stuff, that's the hardest thing to protect against because, you know, you're as secure as your 12,000th employee in our case or your 350,000th employee in some other case. In that case, you've got to be constantly monitoring your systems, looking for anomalous behavior, looking for behavior that is out of the ordinary, and despite somebody being trusted, being able to shut them down. So this is going to happen, Jim, and we just have to make sure that we get our technology to a place where actually relying on machine learning, continuous monitoring, AI, to make sure we're stopping attacks as they happen, not after the fact, analyzing them and trying to figure out how to get back up. Well, if you're one of these companies that got hurt like this, I mean, look, every one of my bank cards has been hacked. All all my phone lines have been hacked. Can I expect one of those companies, don't we have some ability, like, or is it just totally against the law for one of these companies to be able to say, you know what, we're going after these bad guys? Well, I think, Jim, part of the challenge is that it's not clear who these bad guys are, right? There are so many obfuscation techniques. There are so many different ways. In some cases, there are individuals who are in some remote part of the world, and it's very hard to identify. Our entire legal process and legal system is set up in the physical world. We don't have a digital system, digital world-based sort of legal process or process to investigate. So from that perspective, I think it's very hard to find out actually who did this to you. Well, in the first place. Well, look, I'm glad you're out there. I, this, I want everyone, by the way, you, they all should be reading your blogs, which are the best way to find things out. And you don't mince words. One of the things that's so great, I mean, lapsus or what happened, what happened with Okta. I found out about all this stuff because of you and because of your blogs. And I think that's probably the most informed way to keep up with what's happening, which is pretty much unfortunately. Unfortunately, every single day. That's Nikesh Aurora, Chairman CEO of Palo Alto Networks. Thank you, Nikesh. You're keeping us right on target, all right? Thank you, Jim. You and Unit 42, which I would never be smart enough to go to, but I can read their stuff. Thank you so much. Everybody's back here for the Coming up. When the value of a dollar takes a punch, what happens to the value of a dollar store? Kramer checks in on the discount names that could be ready to prosper with inflation. Next. CNBC has quick and easy to understand business news updates at the open midday and close every weekday. Markets, money, and more from Wall Street to Main Street. I'm CNBC's Jessica Ettinger. Follow and listen to CNBC Business News Updates wherever you get your podcasts. What do you do when consumers are getting squeezed like they are now? Between the rampant inflation in everyday goods and the end of government stimulus programs months ago, well, shoppers have to do more with less. That's what I talked about at the top of the show. It could be a tough time. In a normal market, this would be the perfect time to buy the dollar stores as people start trading down in order to save money. 
but we know this isn't a normal market. We've got the worst inflation in decades, so the cost of making even cheap products has risen rapidly. Meanwhile, there are supply bottlenecks all over the place, causing freight costs to skyrocket. And, of course, labor's more expensive, too. Wow. So if you're running a dollar store, that means you're in a tough spot. Given the nature of the industry, you can't really raise prices like so many other retailers are doing, at least not significantly, because it invalidates the whole premise of the dollar store. That means these dollar store chains have to eat their higher costs rather than pass them on to you. It's a good news, bad news situation. They benefit from the trade down dynamic, but they take a beating on the margin front. You know how much the growth stock buyers uh, that concentrate, the days of guys who concentrate on stocks, they always want to see higher gross margins, not lower. And that's why I haven't spent much time focusing on the dollar stores for you lately. That not all these companies are created equal. There are two major players here. There's Dollar General. You've probably been to one of those. Dollar Tree. I got one right near me. Uh, both reported earlier this month. And while the results were far from perfect, both stocks have roared over. They've roared really rather amazingly since they reported. And uh, they bought them in late February. That's why I want to take a close look, because there could be something interesting going on here. First, though, let me give you the backdrop. For years from 2015 through 20, uh, 2015 to 2020, Dollar General trounced the stock of Dollar Tree. Look at this. This is a major difference in performance. Really big. Now, the former's up 193, and the latter's only up 40 percent. Uh, and that's over the exact same period, as you can see. We're taking a look. What we're looking at here, we see 2015 to 2020. Now, if that be, that's before you even calculate the value of Dollar General's dividend versus Dollar Tree's lack of dividend. Now, why was there such a large disparity? Because in 2015, Dollar Tree bought the worst run of the publicly traded dollar store chains, Family Dollar. It turns to be much worse than they thought. They actually won a bidding war with Dollar General over this asset, paid way too much, that made it into a Pyrrhic victory. For the next five years, the Dollar General stock thrived while Dollar Tree languished weighed down by the shabby family dollar concept. After years of struggling, Dollar Tree finally started th- turning things around in 2019. Then the pandemic hit, and both stocks got pulverized. You can see it's some outperformance and then some, well, anyway, boom. Uh, in the end, though, COVID turned out to be the great leveler for these two companies because initially they, they, they both printed money. They were essentially declared essential stores. <laughs> see, right here, they went up because the government said, you know what, we need... Uh, Costco, we need a couple of big, uh, you know, we need Home Depot, we need Lowe's, and we need the dollar stores. And that allowed them to stay open when everyone else was in lockdown. Then the lockdowns ended and people started getting a government assistance checks that allowed them to trade up to higher end retailers. That was not great for Dollar Tree or Dollar General. And that's where they're coming from. Now, thanks in part to a long period of elevated inflation, it's worth noting these, that neither of these dollar stores are actual dollar stores anymore. At least not if you mean stores where nearly everything costs a buck or less. Dollar Tree and Dollar General have been raising prices for a while now, but this is an interesting saga. In fact, Dollar General made this move long before the pandemic. Until just recently, only about 20% of the merchandise was a dollar less. Remember when President Trump slapped tariffs on all sorts of cheap Chinese exports? Well, that's when Dollar Gen jumped at the chance to pass those costs on to its customers. By contrast, Dollar Tree held the line for much longer, at least at its core Dollar Tree locations. They experimented with other price points at Family Dollar. But last fall, as inflation continued to bite into their margins, the company finally gave in and started testing out higher prices, even at their good stores. That news last September, accompanied by a monster buyback announcement 
caused the stock to catch fire. Now I want you to fast forward to late November. Dollar Tree went all in, okay, increasing the price for essentially all items to $1.25. The buck was already broken, and they figured they got tired of pretending otherwise. Here's the interesting part. As soon as Dollar Tree put through those across the, dollar, the board uh, price increases, Dollar General goes in the exact opposite direction. They started making more products available for just a buck and added more displays for their $1 inventory. While Dollar General is pitching this as a move to help their customers, who often struggle to make ends meet, especially if they're on a fixed income, it is the added advantage of luring away disaffected Dollar Tree customers who don't like paying an extra quarter. Now, there's another angle to this story that might be the most important one. In mid-November, we learned that an activist hedge fund called Mantle Ridge had built a 5.65% stake in Dollar Tree. They wanted a change to the pricing strategy, which they got, and some major improvements at the family dollar business. Thank God, because, whoa, the stores still aren't nearly as good as the Dollar Tree stores. But they clearly didn't get enough, because a month later, Mantle Ridge nominated a full slate of 11 directors to replace Dollar Tree's existing board. As soon as I saw the news, I said the stock was a buy, because activist pressure can work wonders, especially if it's a smart activist. And Paul Hillal from Mantle Ridge is very smart. Earlier this month, these moves paid off as there was a major shakeup in Dollar Tree's board of directors, Mantle Ridge getting two seats, and the chairman was forced to resign. I think this is a huge reason why the stock has run from 113 in early November to 160 today. So this is activist pressure that made a lot of this happen. Okay. with that in mind, let's talk earnings. When Dollar Tree reported four weeks ago, their same store sales and net revenue came in a bit weaker than expected. However, their margins, remember what I told you, that's what people want, held up much better than feared, resulting in a terrific 23 cent earnings beat off a dollar seventy-eight basis. According to management, shoppers aren't batting an eyelash at the new $1.25 price point, and their guidance was solid, too. Stock barely budged on the news. It only caught fire a few days later when we learned that the activists at Mantle Ridge were effectively taking the reins. Dollar General reported a couple of weeks later, and their results were a lot less encouraging. Weaker than expected sales, weaker than expected gross margins, and only a tiny one-cent earnings beat. While Dollar General's guidance for the current quarter was outright bad, their full-year forecast was much more bullish. Which, that's very unusual, which allowed the stock to actually rally in response. doesn't hurt that they got an aggressive expansion plan that Wall Street greeted with enthusiasm. And, of course, this is what you buy, needless to say, as I said at the top of the show, when people think we're going into recession. They trade down. Stock jumped from 212 to 230 over the next couple of days. Let's pull back to the low 220s since then. How about valuation? Dollar General, slightly cheaper. 19 times this year's earnings estimates versus over 20 times for Dollar Tree. They both have similar size buybacks. Dollar General is still the only one that pays a dividend, and they just raised the payout by 31%. But even though it only still only translates to about 1% yield, where do I come down? Here's the bottom line. If you want a consistent operator that doesn't need to do anything too crazy to beat the estimates, well, that's Dollar General. Even though they're lowering prices, I think that's a good long-term strategy to win over customers. Dollar Tree is more of a high-risk, high-reward turnaround play where the stock could have a lot more upside if they pull up the execution. But if they screw it up, you can kiss your gains goodbye. Oh, and a shopping tip, I love my Dollar Tree a lot more than I like my Dollar General. Let's go to Stallion in Wisconsin. Stallion. Hey, Jim, how are you? I am good. How are you? Hey, good, good. Hey, question. Shopify was on a huge run during COVID. However, the stock dramatically decreased during earnings. Do you think the company is overvalued or do you think it's a buy? Wow. What a great question, because, you know, I like Shopify and I've liked it from much lower levels. What I have to say is it's now a show me stock. The last quarter was not what people wanted. So we literally have to wait for this quarter to see that it was just something, a new trend 
or whether it was just one off. I'm sorry, but you may think that that's a punt, but I have no choice. I got to see the quarter. Fred in California. Fred. Leo, Jim. Whoa. What's up? So, um, thanks for taking my call. Of course. And you uh, gave me an A-OK on my investment in Qualcomm. The other stock I like, it's a place I, I buy gas, cheapest price in town. I stop for lunch there and get a slice of pizza, and I go in the store and buy my beer, wine, steaks, and even buy lobster. Uh, I can also buy my clothes, pots and pans, appliances, pharmacy products, even tires when needed. When people check out, their shopping carts are filled to the brim. Wow, what a place. I think I should buy stock in Costco. What do you think, Jim? I actually do every one of those things except for not the lobsters. I get the, I get the crab legs. Uh, the ones are the, uh, much, much better than where you can get them anywhere else. The answer is yes, you should buy. Buy slowly because it does come down to a huge position for my travel trust. And we talk about it all the time. It's one of the few positions we did not want to touch when we had the distribution that we gave, of which we're you know, dribbling money out very proudly to $100,000 today to the to first aid just for people who are uh, disadvantaged, let's say, by what the Russians are doing in Ukraine, which you know I feel is a travesty. Anyway, it's a tough run. Uh, when you're trying to run a dollar store, when everything goes up in price, to keep it at a dollar. However, Dollar Tree and Dollar General are two players worth watching because they've been dealing with this very well. Dollar General is the consistent operator with a great strategy to win over customers. Dollar Tree, much more of a high-risk, high-reward turnaround play. Remember, go to them before you buy. Make sure you get comfortable with the concept. Much more made money. You stump me on Alto Ingredients and Gladstone Land. I'm going to turn in my homework on the two stocks to see if either provides an enticing buying opportunity. And what can the United States do to aid Ukraine in their fight against Russia? You know how aggrieved I am about this. I'm discussing some potential actions. And all your calls rapid fire in tonight's edition of the Lightning Round. So stay with Kramer. I get a call about a stock that I'm not too familiar with, I like to take a beat, do some research, and then circle back with a considered answer. Whether here or with the CNBC Investing Club, my mission is to help you become a better investor, which means I need to be responsive to your actual questions, not just what I think you should know. For example, I get a ton of questions about ultra-hot stocks all the time, some of which are relatively unknown or under the radar. And those always deserve extra consideration because I don't want you to get burned by something that's already overheated. That's why tonight I want to catch up on our homework with a pair of stocks that have just been on fire lately. Let's get to it. On March 1st, Near in Pennsylvania asked about a teensy tiny company called Alto Ingredients that's barely big enough for us to talk about. And, and that's because there's certain size considerations for what we say on air. And I said I had to do some digging to get familiar with it. Now, right off the bat, I need to apologize for taking too long to circle back to this one. When you asked me about Alto, it was just trading at $5 and change. Since then, it's rallied 17% to just under $7. In retrospect, it was obviously a fabulous opportunity. So what's the story here? Okay, Alto ingredients make specialty alcohols and other essential ingredients that are derived from crops. We're talking ethyl alcohols, renewable fuels like ethanol, along with foodstuffs like yeast, corn, gluten, 
high protein feeds for livestock, grain neutral spirits, even carbon dioxide for the beverage industry. They've got exposure to a broad array of end markets, home health and beauty, food and beverage, essential ingredients, renewable fuels. And within those end markets, Alpha's got a pretty impressive list of customers, including everyone from Procter & Gamble to Nestle to Church & Dwight to Chevron. However, the company's also got a history. Eh, That's not so good. Outdoor ingredients originally came public in 2005 under the name, some of you probably know this, you're just going to laugh when you're Pacific Ethanol, right? And for most of its existence, the stock had been a total dog. Initially, the business was all about making ethanol for cleaner, greener fuels. Back in the day, there was an ethanol boom that imploded a little over a year after Alto came public. Then it got hit with another huge leg down when the price of oil peaked in 2014, which made ethanol totally uneconomic versus fossil fuels. These guys lost money pretty much every year from 2015 through 2020, with the stock plummeting to just 22 cents when the COVID crash hit two years ago. From peak to trough, Alto lost 99% of its value, which is a situation that companies rarely come back from. But in the last two years, Alto Ingredients has rallied exactly 3,000% off its March 2020 lows. How they do that? One word, diversification. Before the pandemic, these guys had a small sideline in specialty alcohols that go into hand sanitizers. And that business, of course, caught fire thanks to the pandemic, essentially saving the company from ruin. By the fall of 2020, management realized they were on to something. So they announced a complete strategic realignment, shifting from its, its focus from ethanol to specialty alcohols and essential ingredients. That's when they changed the name from Pacific Ethanol to Alto Ingredients. Unfortunately, management overestimated the scale of the opportunity. They started missing sales expectations in the fourth quarter of 2020 because the forecasts were too high, and they struggled with execution for much of last year. That said, Alto has also made some important moves. They sold off some ethanol capacity. They used some of those proceeds to pay down all of their long-term debt. They even made a small acquisition a couple of months ago, picking up a profitable specialty alcohol business. Now, though, in an ironic twist of fate, Alto's stock has caught fire, and this time it's all about ethanol, which is suddenly a lot more competitive with the price of oil back in the triple digits. And that's how the company could shoot the lights out when reported just three weeks ago. Where do I come down on this one? While I'm wary of anything that's up more than 40% for the year, Alto's what I call an orphan stock. It's a $500 million enterprise with light analyst coverage. Only three analysts follow the stock. They all seem to like it. This could be terrific material for speculation in the right environment. Now, it doesn't hurt that Alto's only trading at 13 times earnings, assuming they can make the numbers this year. In the end, it's pure speculation. If you believe oil prices can stay elevated, then I think Alto ingredients could be worth betting on. But I recommend buying it in gradual, small increments and only with money you can afford to lose. What can I say? Near's got horse sense. Next up, last Wednesday, we got a call from Terry in Washington about Gladstone Land Corporation. I said I'd circle back. Gladstone is a real estate investment trust, or REIT, that specializes in farmland that it leases to farmers on what's known as a triple net basis, meaning the farmer is on the hook for rent, insurance, maintenance, and taxes. Now, this thing used to have a fabulous dividend yield, but even though management has consistently raised the payout, well, guess what? They haven't been able to keep pace with the massive run in the stock over the last couple of years. So, in other words, distribution's good, but the stock's going up, so the yield's going down. The run, the run in Gladstone is actually pretty straightforward. We've had extreme food inflation, and you better believe it, that that makes farmland more, much more valuable. Even before Russia invaded Ukraine, potentially taking 13% of the world's total calories off the market, thank you, Agco, for that figure, demand for farmland was growing. Between a steadily rising global population and a steadily shrinking uh, supply of arable land, a farm turns out to be a real good investment. I know, I bought one myself. 
That said, Gladstone's most recent leg hire is all about Ukraine. Ever since the breadbasket of Europe became a war zone, this stock has rallied roughly 27%. So the question is, can you continue that rally? Let's start with a positive. Gladstone's a very well-run company. Their acreage is 100% leased, and they've got a strong system in place for bringing new property that's perfect for farming. Long-term, I believe it's an excellent business, and I'd be a buyer at the right price. But I don't think the right price is this price. Right now, Gladstone sells for 46 times this year's Funds from Operations, FFO. That's the Real Estate Investment Trust equivalent of earnings. That's incredibly high. By comparison, our favorite data center, REIT, uh, Equinix, sells for 25 times funds from operations. And that, that's a great one. I can't count on buying Gladstone up here. Sometimes you just have to admit that you missed it. The bottom line, stock picking is like baseball. There are times to swing away and times when you have to keep your bat on your shoulder and wait for a better pitch. You have my blessing to swing at Alto Ingredients. But Gladstone Land is coming in way too hot. Mad Money's back after the break. No need for a meteorologist. Today's forecast calls for thunder and lightning. The lightning round is next. It is time. It's time for the lightning and then the lightning round is over. Are you ready? Ski day. Time for the lightning round. Let's start with Brad in Kentucky. Brad. Uh, booyah. 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 I was wanting your take on uh, Evgo or any um, electric vehicle. Okay, electric vehicle. The only electric vehicle stock that I'm recommending right now is Tesla. Uh, this one's losing fortune. No, thank you. Let's go to Rick in Pennsylvania. Rick. Booyah, Jim. Booyah. How are you? I am good. How about you? Good, good. First time caller. Thank you. Long time listener. Thank you for calling. I have um, GEVO. I'd like your opinion, please. Okay. um, Yes, that's alternative fuels. Uh, It should be working better here, but it's losing too much money. And ever since November, the money losers are stocks that just go down. Let's go to Michael in Rhode Island. Michael. Booyah, Kramer. Booyah. After this company spins off Warner Media, they should be value-friendly and offer a great dividend. What are your thoughts on opening a long-term position in AT&T? Um, maybe long-term. Uh, right now, right now, I think they're doing terribly. Uh, you know, it's just not a great company. There we go. Let's go to Tyler in Georgia, please. Tyler. Hey, Jim. Booyah. Booyah. First time caller, long time listener. Great. What's on? Hey, What's thanks up? for your new force out here. Um, Cosmos Energy, KOS. What do you think? Good Should company. Good company. Makes a lot of money. Kind of interesting to me. Want to pull back? You got to buy it. Uh, just right place to be. Let's go to JJ in New York. JJ. Hey, Professor. I have a question for you. What sure. do you think of RADA, R-A-D-A, electronics? Mm, man, that stock is just... Look, this is, everybody wants defense contractors. This is an Israeli defense contractor. It is a very good company. However, it has just doubled. So I can't recommend a stock that just doubled. And that, ladies and gentlemen, is the conclusion of the Lightning Round. The Lightning Round is sponsored by TD Ameritrade. Coming up, Kramer explains why Russian oil may be the factor to demoralize Ukraine. And why that would be a black mark on Western ideals. Next. 
Let's go to Tim in Kentucky, Susan in Indiana, Anne-Marie in Florida, Chris in New York. How about we go to Paul in California, Bob in Indiana, Alex in California, Clay in Montana, Phil in Illinois, Mark in Virginia, Darren in Minnesota. From every corner of America, we want to hear from you. Drop us a line on Mad Money. When the book is written on the Russo-Ukrainian war, I hope it won't say that the Ukrainians lost because the West sold them out. But sadly, that's looking like an increasingly real possibility. The main issue, too many of our European allies are hostage to Russian natural gas supplies. Putin's been pushing for them to to pay for that gas in rubles. See, he's killing two birds with one stone. He's raising money and propping up his currency in the process. Now, so far, Western Europe has refused, but they haven't had to contend with energy shortages yet. If they blink, it would be a huge problem. Russia is highly dependent on imports, meaning anything that props up the ruble is great news for Putin. You've got to understand, Russia has an economy the size of Italy, with infrastructure that feels more and more like Argentina. Too many of our leaders seem confused about this. They think we're up against the old Soviet Union, an admitted military and economic powerhouse. But the Russian army of today has no Zhukov, Zhukov the general who crushed Nazi Germany in World War II. They can't even consistently supply their soldiers with food and fuel. Yet our government seems terrified of angering Russia by aggressively outfitting the Ukrainian army with offensive weapons for fear that Putin will go nuclear. The White House has blocked the sale of key fighter aircraft that Ukraine's pilots have been trained to use. Tanks totally off limits. Do you know, it wasn't until yesterday that we finally agreed to send them a paltry 100 switchblade drones, one we know about from having their maker air environment on the show. Now it's a big upgrade from what we've been sending them because it has enough range and flight time to find Russian artillery positions and wipe them out. And artillery is exactly what Ukraine needs to destroy, given the constant Russian bombardments, which often, of course, target hospitals. But why only 100? I think Biden's too timid. Speaking of someone who vividly remembers the Cold War, there's not much we can do if Putin's truly unhinged enough to use nuclear weapons. But his other leverage, the natural gas that runs from Russia to the West, is something we could take care of maybe within a year. We just need Germany to recommission some coal plants for a bit while shifting all of our natural, liquefied natural gas, or LNG, to the EU for the duration of the crisis. The president did loosen the Federal Energy Regulatory Commission rules that made it well nigh impossible to build new pipelines that you need to move gas from one state to another. We have a ridiculous amount of natural gas in this country that we're just sitting on because we lack the infrastructure to export it overseas in large quantities. But the president has since dropped the ball on natural gas coordination. More important, he's decided to use the strategic petroleum reserve to temporarily lower gasoline prices. That was not the reason why it was formed, and it's not all that effective. And browbeating the oil companies to become more reckless again after years of them being reckless, that's not going to work either. Let's see. Lower gasoline prices here, Russian gas there. How about supporting Ukraine with armaments to fight against the Russian war machine? A war machine that's financed by European natural gas purchases. Why not give the Ukrainians a thousand of the switchplate drones? The 600, if you want to Google it, you'll find it. Why not make it clear to the Russians that they've won all the territory they're going to win? And now it's about to be taken back if they don't come to the bargaining table seriously immediately. What are we so afraid of? The Soviet Union was 100 times more threatening than contemporary Russia, but that didn't stop us from arming their enemies in Afghanistan to the teeth in the 70s and 80s. 
I think we should be less afraid of nuclear retaliation and more afraid of letting down a country that desperately needs our help. It's a humanitarian crisis and a military crisis, but the former can't be resolved until the latter gets better. Let's just hope our leaders recognize that Russia needs to be decisively beaten here, not appeased. As long as Germany and France are arming Ukraine with one hand while they buy Russian natural gas with the other hand, we've got a real problem. I like to say there's always a bull market somewhere, and I promise to try to find it just for you right here on Mad Money. I'm Jim Cramer. See you tomorrow. The news with Shepard Smith starts now. CNBC has quick and easy to understand business news updates at the open midday and close every weekday. Markets, money, and more from Wall Street to Main Street. I'm CNBC's Jessica Ettinger. Follow and listen to CNBC Business News Updates wherever you get your podcasts.